You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note, the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Hello and welcome, or welcome back, to Where Your Treasure Is. I'm Simon Glazier and I shall be your in-house financial expert for today's episode. And I'm Bex Elder, co-host and question master. We're slowly coming into land this first series of the podcast, and I'm going to wrap up with a couple more generic episodes. We've already had loads of feedback for the first few topics, so thank you so much if you've taken the time to get in touch with us, both with positive and perhaps more constructive feedback. It's all really, really useful and will help us shape where your treasure is going forward and make sure that it's helpful to you. What is clear is that we have a very wide audience from all stages of life, as well as from a variety of different financial backgrounds. Therefore, some of the content we've spoken about so far does not apply to some of our listeners. And what we're hoping to achieve today is a podcast that is something for everybody, whether you're young or old, single or in a relationship, living with parents or with children, in your own home or someone else's or even looking forward to a place prepared for you in the father's house. This week, we're going to be going on a whistle-stop tour of the stages of life that many of us will pass through, and I'll be asking Simon to give us his top tips, gleaned from over 20 years of advising clients at all stages of life, on how we can be faithful and effective in how we handle money and deal with the financial questions and challenges that come along in our lives. So Simon, I'm a wee bit younger than you and have much less financial experience and to be honest, a lot less money. And I'm very much looking forward to hearing some of what you're going to say that I can then take and implement in my own life. To start us off, are there any general principles that we can apply throughout all life stages or is each stage completely unique? Each life stage is definitely not unique, but each life is unique. So whilst there are some general principles that can be applied across the life stages, I'm only too aware that each person's situation is different. So what I'm not going to do, and in fact what I cannot do, is give individual, personalised advice to each and every listener. That's why I do my day job. I spend lots of time finding out about the individual circumstances, values, goals, priorities and challenges of each of my clients, and only then can I give them personalised advice. So as we go through today's topic, I want you all to take what I say with a pinch of salt. Moments will come when you think, oh, that's all right, Simon, but in my situation, that wouldn't work. And you'll be right. Your decision then is whether to take those principles and try to apply them to your own circumstances, or perhaps whether you need to seek that personalised advice from a financial planning professional, which of course then comes with a cost. So what are the general principles that we can start out with today? When I started out at financial advisor school back in the day, I was taught something called the Pepsi principle. Now, it's not perfect in every situation, but it gives us a starting framework to assess where our financial priorities should lie. It's an acronym and it's spelled Pepsi, P-E-P-S-I. And they stand for protection, emergency fund, pension, savings and investment. For anyone at any stage of life, you can use this acronym to assess your position and maybe decide where your next financial focus should be. But in short, 
You shouldn't be spending time, effort and money on the later items, the savings and investments, until you have first sorted out the earlier ones. Protection and emergency fund. So we've got protection, emergency fund, pension, savings and investment. And I noticed that debt doesn't appear in your list anywhere. And so having spent the last two episodes just starting to scratch the surface of all things to do with negative money, that seems a little bit surprising. So where would debt repayment fit into the Pepsi principle? Yeah, Beck, you're absolutely right to raise that question. So I suppose, remember this, I learned the principle as a trainee financial advisor. As such, my job was to work with people who were primarily in need of my services. So they needed to get advice on protection being put in place or setting up a pension or investing money for the long term. I was not a debt advisor and I'm not one today. So I commented that most people have debts at some point in their lives. And then we spoke about getting debt free being hugely rewarding, but really a challenging target as well. Now, it would be far too simplistic to simply say that you should pay off all your debts before considering these other areas of financial planning. But nor should you ignore your debts. If perhaps you could get on that first stage of only having good debts, that would be a fantastic start. But as we go through the life stages, you'll see how debt impacts differently at different times and with differing priorities. Okay, so I imagine we'll see that thread of debt running through each of these life stages. But there's a word you've used quite a few times, uh, which is protection. And I'm not entirely sure what it means in this specific context. Could you explain how that looks in a financial setting? So in terms of financial planning, protection generally refers to insurance and specifically the kinds of insurance that protect your financial position. So I'm not talking about car insurance or house insurance or pet insurance. I'm talking about life insurance, critical illness insurance or income insurance. Excellent. That's really helpful. And I'm sure we'll come back to those. But we need to get back to the main point today, which is our life stages. So as I was thinking through this, I've created a list of eight different life stages that I would love you to cover. Some of these I'm sure will overlap, but I think with each comes its own unique questions and priorities. So the life stages I've been thinking about are starting out, starting a family, your first job, your first home, career progression, getting ready for retirement, retirement, and then the one that I wasn't quite sure what to call, but is really important, is something along the lines of end of life planning. So can you start us out the key financial issues for people who are starting out today? Absolutely. And what better place to start? So I would define the starting out life stage perhaps like this. Someone who has grown up living with their parents or carers is coming to the end of their education, and and that could be school or college or university. They're just on the brink of financial independence. Maybe they're looking for their first proper job, and, and that's a whole life stage. We'll about that later on. And they're starting to manage their own money for the first time without significant impact from others. So we're going to apply our Pepsi principle to this individual and see where we get to. And then we'll build on that foundation as we progress through other life stages. So if you remember, the first P in Pepsi was for protection. Now, financial protection is designed to protect something or someone from a financial shock. 
And the simple question to ask, albeit it's not always a simple question to answer, is this. What would happen if... So, for example, what would happen if I died? A question designed to establish a need for life insurance. So let's go back to that starter router. And I think we could go like this with the questions. Question number one. What would happen if I were to die? Now, we're thinking about the financial consequences, Bex, not the emotional or spiritual ones, which are, of course, significant. But in terms of the financial implications, if this individual is still living at home, has no debts, maybe no dependents yet, then in the event of their death, there's not really anybody who will lose out financially. And if that is the case, then there's just no need for life insurance yet. And we'll see how later this changes throughout the life stages. So that's question one, it's about life insurance. Question two, what would happen if I was critically ill? Now, critical illness is broadly defined as a serious illness that has a significant impact on your life. And typically, insurance would cover events like getting cancer, or having a heart attack, or having a stroke. Each policy will have its own list of conditions that are covered. Now, being young, typically, for these starter outers, there's not much chance of these things happening. So for most people, critical illness insurance isn't much of a priority. Maybe the hope would be that if they did have a serious illness, they could continue living with the family or friends and they would get looked after. So the third one then, what would happen if I couldn't work? And this covers the issue of income protection insurance, which is designed to replace some of your income if you're not able to work for a prolonged period of time. And again, the key question is, will someone else be financially disadvantaged if you couldn't work? So there's no need for insurance if you haven't got a job yet because you've got no income to protect anyway. And if you have family or friends or perhaps even the church who could look after you, then again, that insurance wouldn't be a priority for you. So I'm going to jump in with a quick question here, which is what should a Christian's attitude towards insurance be? Is there not an argument that we should be trusting in God to look after us? Or, as you said, depending on the church to look after us? I feel like this could potentially be a slightly controversial topic. Is that what you've found over the years? I've come across two broad responses to that topic, that issue. I've certainly come across people who feel that, as a Christian, they shouldn't take out any of these kinds of insurance because they believe that doing so would mean they're not trusting in God to provide for them. And I understand that. Then the other side of the argument is that... Maybe God has given us the means to provide protection for ourselves and our families. The, the income that we have, we can afford to pay for these insurances. And so why should we become a drain on the resources of the church should something happen to us? Now, you'll know this, Bex, and I've mentioned it in the past. I'm actually a church treasurer as well. And I know that most churches don't see so much money coming in or so much generosity from their members that they can meet the financial and emotional and spiritual needs of everybody they would like to. The church has to prioritise where their resources go. Now, I am not, hopefully, going to open a theological debate at this topic on insurance. So what's my personal opinion? And it is that one of my responsibilities as a Christian 
is to honour my mother and father. Hey, it's there in the Ten Commandments. Now, that might mean one day that I provide for them financially. They could be my dependents. I should raise my children with godly wisdom. Now, to raise them, that certainly means providing for them financially. I also want to be generous. That means giving back to God, typically through the church, some of what he has entrusted to me. And then a critical theme running right through the Bible is caring for the poor. Now, the local church, in my experience and certainly my opinion, is one of the best ways that Christians can help care for the poor by giving, yes, our money, but also our time, our expertise, our influence. From a biblical perspective, I don't consider myself to be one of the poor who should be cared for by the church. I think I've been so richly blessed by God I'm one of the ones that should be looking after the the poor. And so through the income that God has blessed me with to be a good steward of, I should allocate some of that to provide for my family should something happen to me. So we haven't got to depend on the church. And that means using insurance. That's really helpful, Simon. And maybe we could come back to that topic again in the future and dig into it a little more. However, I'm very aware that we haven't even finished our first life stage yet. So where do we go from here? Uh, Yeah, we we are taking more time on this first life stage, but that's deliberate. We're going to set the grounds and then we'll be able to move through the other life stages more quickly. So we've established so far that our starter offer probably doesn't need any protection, any insurance at this stage. So... We move on to the next priority in the Pepsi principle, which is E for emergency fund. Now, the emergency fund is one of the keys to financial resilience. Having access to a pot of money for use in, well, emergencies helps avoid having to depend on others or having to go into debt. We live in this society where the prevailing culture is to use money as a means of demonstrating status, of buying things now, but paying for them later, of showing off our wealth through the clothes we wear or the cars we drive or the holidays we take, and people who want to display the very best version of their lives through social media. But remember, money is a tool and we are stewards of it, not the owners of it. Being a Christian doesn't make you immune to financial shock. Christians still experience job loss, car breakdowns, leaking showers, broken legs, all sorts of things that can lead to some kind of financial shock. Having that emergency fund means that when, rather than just if, when you have a financial shock, you're able to manage it because you've been a good steward of what God has given you in the past. But then we have a sub-question. How much should your emergency fund be? Now, there is a rule of thumb. uh, It comes in like this. You should aim to get about three months worth of essential expenditure in the bank as your emergency fund. Now, in order to do that, you have to know what is your essential expenditure. So for this individual we're talking about, imagine they're still living at home. They might have very little essential expenditure. I'm not paying a mortgage yet maybe paying some rent, which the parents might let them off on. Maybe they've got a car loan or a mobile phone contract, though. Maybe they've got some of those buy now, pay later deals. And it's here you begin to see that having debt 
means you are less resilient to financial pressure and financial shocks. But for many in this situation, actually, the emergency fund is actually just the start of something bigger. It's the pot of money that will hopefully grow and one day be used to help to buy a car or help to buy a house of their own, you know, a deposit. But I have got some, some advice to give at this stage, and it's this. If you have those objectives in mind, then keep your savings separate from your other planned expenditure, such as money to buy clothes or for your next holiday. It is just all too easy to get so excited about spending money, and then you might dip into the pot which you had planned to be your emergency fund or your car or house deposit. From a very practical point of view, many banks now let you have this arrangement where you can have multiple pots of money in your account, and then you can separate the money into pots and then give them different names. So maybe over there is your emergency pot, and then your house deposit pot, and then your holiday pot. And that way, it's easier not to spend money on other things when you've already given that money a specific purpose. I know I find that feature so helpful. And just by making that money a little bit less accessible, it makes you much more intentional about the way you spend it. We should probably think about wrapping up this life stage. So what about pensions, savings and investments for those who are starting out? We'll actually cover pensions more in the section about getting your first job. Uh, And investments haven't yet reached the top of the priority list for this particular individual. Mostly, it's about savings at this stage. Setting aside money for those big financial goals that you have which does often for many people mean buying a car or building a deposit to buy a house. Now I've mentioned using that different pots method to save up money for different purposes. If you can get to grips with that early in your financial life, then you will always be somebody who manages their money well, being good stewards of what God has entrusted you with. In terms of where to save your money at this stage, it's usually pretty simple. Find the most convenient place for you, or possibly the one that pays at least a little bit of interest. There isn't much interest out there these days. Don't worry yet about things like ISAs. That's an individual savings account, and they protect you from paying tax on any interest earned. Now, I say that because you have to earn over a £1,000 of interest before you start paying any tax anyway. With interest rates being so low, I'm recording this anyway, most people never get to the point of earning that much interest and therefore they don't pay any tax anyway. Now yes, use an ISA if it offers a higher interest rate, but you need to have instant access to your money. There's no point in having an emergency fund and not being able to get it in an emergency. Ideally, save it in various pots, so just a normal bank account might be the right way of doing this. We will, however, touch on the topic of lifetime ISAs which are a little bit different when we look at the first home life stage, because there is a big opportunity to be had there. Well, there's lots more for us to talk about. And so I think we're looking at another double bill, two-parter episode. We've covered some of the basics, looking at the Pepsi principle of protection and emergency fund, but we still have to get onto the pensions and investments section. We've covered one of my eight life stages, And so I'm going to clearly have to push you a bit harder to get through the rest of this in the next episode. I must be slacking off. Before we wrap up, 
Are there any last comments you have for us on starting out on our financial journeys well? Yeah, okay. Let me leave you with these few thoughts. And not everybody listening to this will have had any financial guidance when they were starting out. And they've gone past that life stage now. They just had to get on with it as best they could. Now, if that's you, don't worry. Start with where you are. And perhaps you can begin to use these principles wherever you are on life's journey. They apply throughout the life stages. Also remember this, you are a steward of what God has entrusted to you. So think about it being his money rather than your money. Be deliberate about how you use that money. What are the priorities in your life right now? And how can you use money to best achieve them? And give every pound a purpose. So perhaps using a budget to know what it is that your money needs to do, and that's those essential expenditures, the things that you absolutely have to pay. And then with what's left over, you can decide what it is you want to do. Give those pounds a purpose. And all of this should come after you have given back to God what you think and feel he has called you to give. Thank you, Simon. That's all from us this episode of Where Your Treasure Is. Tune in next time for the rest of our life stages. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.